If you could enter the Animus and pick a time period to go back to and explore, what ancestor, if any, would you want to go back and visit the experiences of? We can't change anything. Right? Can't change so. anything. No, that's a. Uh, um, th- there might be some nonsense in Assassin's yeah. Creed Valhalla. I haven't gotten to yet sure. that does involve that, but uh, as far as I'm aware, no, we can't change anything. Okay, this might not be the a great choice, but my grandmother was very into uh what the what's that called going back through uh, searching family familyology uh, genealogy genealogy yeah. yeah all that good stuff um and apparently one of the ladies of the night um that was murdered by jack the ripper oh i was related to no shit yeah that's horrible <laughs> yeah so go check that out and when i come back i'll be like it was him it was it was that it was, it was that guy. <laughs> Let's <laughs> go back and ID one of the yeah. most famous yeah. murderers in history. Yeah. That actually, yeah, that kind of rules. That was awful. I need a lot of therapy, but it was that yeah. good. I just experience. I just experience what a horrible stabbing feels like. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, but also, I know it was this dude. <laughs> How about you, Joe? <laughs> um. <laughs> so. Uh, thanks to the uh, probably unhealthy amount of Robert Evans co- related <laughs> content that I listen <laughs> right. to on a regular basis, I did learn something just recently that uh, the Italian mafia was uh, staunchly anti-Nazi. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they which I I didn't know that, mm-hmm. so that's kind of neat. And uh, given that my mom's family is from Italy. Uh, maybe that maybe there's some relatives that stayed behind that I could maybe tap into, just you know, get some of that good old fashioned organized crime Nazi hunting in. I forget which famous mob guy was like, "I'll kill, I'll kill it for you." Yeah, send me. I'll, I'll kill him. Fuck him. <laughs> I'm gonna kill some Nazis for you guys. <laughs> I gotta get away from Mussolini for yeah. a minute. Just please, yeah. I'll go kill some Nazis. Absolutely. Oh my god! Could you fucking imagine though? Just I I would watch the movie for sure. Yeah. Though then again, part of me would really also want to go back into my dad's side of the family and just mm-hmm. see just what kind of debaucherous nonsense my Irish side got up to. Speaking of the mafia, I forget what famous gangster. Um, so there's a lot of either criminals or lawmen in my ancestry. Hmm. Feels. Feels right somehow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure mine's leans criminal, but I, I don't know for sure. Uh, but I had like a great great grandfather who was like a sheriff in a small town, and I will take a bone just so I have a name. Sure. Um, but like somebody of that caliber came into town, sat down at the dinner table uh, of in this restaurant across from my. Grand, great-grandfather the sheriff. That's wild. And they just had dinner together, and there's nothing he could do because it's the mob. He was surrounded by guys. So it was almost like this weird, like weird power play. So he just purposely went and sat down with your with your, your ancestor? My ancestor, comma, the sheriff, yes. Yeah, just purposely went yeah. and just like, how you doing, sheriff? Yeah, and they just had a dinner together. What the fuck? <laughs> that is a bonkers power move. It is a weird power move. Oh my god! And maybe it's because I'm hungry, but like that'd be, that'd be a fun yeah. event to check out. Just, if you could have dinner with one gangster, who would it be? <laughs> the question I didn't expect to ask today. God, I don't. I don't. That's an area of true crime I, I've been less interested in. Yeah, honest, honestly, same. Yeah, I don't know my organized crime very well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Welcome to Derazzled, everybody, the <laughs> podcast where we take award-winning worst films and attempt to fix them. My name is Joe Nealis. I'm your host. And with me, as always, is also host, Jack Culbertson. Hi. Hi. So if you're joining us, uh, thank you for continuing on with our journey through 2016's Assassin's Creed, starring Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard and company. Uh, 
Last episode, we spent a lot of time talking about the film itself, what worked, what didn't work, the story and whatnot, some of the game history, some of the some of the shenanigans Ubisoft have gotten up to. Uh, but there's something that we really didn't dig into that much and is something that is at the crux of this series in and of itself and is the thing that really attracted Michael Fassbender to the, pro- to the project to begin with, and that's the idea of genetic memory. Hmm. So, Jack, how likely do you think it is that you can just jump into your ancestors' uh, Full-blown subjective memories through your uh, through my genes. Through your genes. Uh, yeah. God, um, well, it does make me glad that I've decided to never have children. So, <laughs> the, my... take that, you creepy future voyeurs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my memories are my own. You shits. <laughs> um, t- not good. I hope. Yeah, yeah, no, this is this absolutely no feasibility. To this. Great, <laughs> no, perfect. No, so this is the problem with the idea of genetic memory. So, you know, Assassin's Creed depicts ancestral memories as something just straight up encoded in our DNA that can be tapped into with the right technology. So, you know, it's just it's a sci-fi justification to just sure. have fun with the past, basically. Uh, the real-life idea they're building from is actually referred to as epigenetic memory. More or less, it's the, the idea of like altered gene expression passed from generation to generation. So mm-hmm. I'm not a scienceman, you may have noticed. <laughs> so I, I asked the person closest to me who does engage with science on a regular basis. Steve? Uh, uh, my partner, Becca. Oh. <laughs> uh, so you, uh, Becca was a guest. Uh, I could have asked Steve, too, though. That probably would have been a good idea. Uh, but Becca's more thoroughly actively involved in like br- brain research and oh, whatnot. Okay, so I figured slight. she's a little bit more on the on the like, actual like research and academic side of things. Uh, where Steve science is, isn't just yeah. one giant. Science isn't just one giant topic. Yeah, and uh, believe it or not, you're a scientist. <laughs> you know these things, more or less. Uh, right. So, so I asked Becca about this. Uh, if you listened to our Mommy Dearest episode, you'll remember her from there. Uh, she did. Uh, she did ask that I give a caveat to this before I read her quote. Her caveat is, I mostly do brains and have only run, like, Sesame Street levels, baby first polygenic risk scores, so epigenetics is pretty solidly outside of my expertise. I'm going to give a caveat to that caveat and remind you that I have a master's degree in literature, so I'm ba- I'm barely even qualified to watch that particular episode of Sesame Street. So we're just going to go ahead with what she, with what she said, because I think, I think it has some interesting insight here. I only watched the parts with the count. Yeah, the best parts, honestly. Yeah. I just had it pointed out to me that uh, Ron DeSantis looks like uh, looks like Bert if he dressed like Patrick Bateman. Um, Fuck. Oh no, it was Ernie. Sorry, it was Ernie if he dressed yeah, like Pat- yeah, was, uh, Patrick yeah. Bateman, which um, oh, I'm never going to unsee that. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> Becca's so so uh, Doctor Hayes's more educated summation of uh, epigenetic genetic memory. So epigenetics is mostly about which genes are getting expressed and which ones aren't because the genetic code is huge and you're never expressing all of it. The closest thing to epigenetic memory, as in how the Assassin's Creed franchise portrays it, to my understanding, would be something like generational epigenetic inheritance, where the genes that were suppressed or promoted in your parents are also suppressed or promoted in you. So, like, if your parents' immune system was upregulated in ways that helped them resist a particular infection that was local to them, your immune system might also upregulate in the same way. It has to do with histones and proteins as they uh, that they pass on to you during fetal development. What it isn't is subjective lived experiences of your ancestors. Yeah. The, 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 the blank smile on Jack's <laughs> face as I read that. That's... Beautiful. Theater degree. Yeah. Neither. Yeah. We're we're idiots when it comes right. to this shit. I don't like. I don't know shit about shit about ge- genetics outside of what those square things that you had to do in science class when you were a kid. Ooh, Punnett the, squares. Mendelbrot. No, Mendelbrot sets. That's a number thing. I think. I um, I don't know. Is it? I don't know. See, we're idiots. <laughs> don't tweet at us about these things. We're dumb. Anyway, uh, so some studies in recent years suggest that trauma that is experienced by one generation can impact these genetic expressions through generations. And mice, studies on mice have shown this. Uh, uh, mice who are subjected to, like, scary stimuli can pass on their same fear response to their offspring. Uh, and it, they, they, and they've tried to, like, study this to make sure it's not like a, like a, gen, like a generational fluke. It's not just like, oh, these mice raised these mice, so they had to do the same thing. It's like, no, they've seen the same response pop up, like, six generations down the line of mice. Um, to which I've had to say, great, you gave them anxiety. <laughs> yeah, like, how do I get the job of scaring generations scaring of mice? <laughs> I, 
<laughs> Get the cheese. Get closer to the cheese. Come on, just a little bit more. Ah! <laughs> yeah, and, and no, you've no, scarred no. that entire yeah. line of. Mice. And that's what your PhD yeah. got you. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't really been able to do real human trials to look into these kind of things, uh, but. Something that has been observed, at least among a very small group of uh, a, sm- a small group of people, is that the children of some Holocaust survivors have shown just uniquely low baseline levels of cortisol, so like okay, stress yeah. hormones. Like so, basically, your like your parents or grandparents went through the worst fucking thing imaginable. So like the horrors of regular life are com- they just don't phase you at all, right? That kind of thing. Jesus. Um. Now, but there's not, like, a real... They haven't really figured out a way to, like, confirm, like, is that what caused this? Or is there some other factor? Sure. Uh, people are hesitant to really say that generational trauma does this kind of thing. Because it makes it makes generational trauma seem kind of, like, insurmountable and inevitable. Which is kind of fucking bleak. So it's not quite pseudoscience. But it's it's not, not science. Science. Yeah. Like, it's, some, it's kind of a gray area okay. in between where there's, like... There's some conjecture and there's some, like... Some people suggest over-interpretation of data that's okay, taking place. Yeah. And there's also like, just, like, the X factor of, like, how do we know this is what caused it? Because, like, how do we know that, like, this person experienced trauma and that trauma just turned them into a shitty parent? So they just parented their kid like <laughs> right. a fucking asshole. It's like, and then their kid turns into an asshole. Like One thing to research generations of mice, which have a limited lifespan versus yeah. generations of humans that – live a lot longer yeah. are way more fucking complicated yeah. <laughs> just okay yeah and of course we as traumatized filmmakers are not scientists and this is a movie podcast <laughs> so we'll get back to doing that thing after we take this break so if i were to reproduce that child would make even more upsetting and traumatized films oh my god jack <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> welcome back everybody uh so i know i said we're going to fix this movie uh we're not going to do it just yet there's a couple of things I want to I want to take a look at here. Uh, specifically, I like to take a second to theorize what other time periods could be the focus of a potential sequel, or even the upcoming uh, Netflix series that's in the works. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, uh, yeah. Part of the development of the next like phase of of Assassin's Creed is a uh, is a actual Netflix series. So they're gonna have a little bit more a little bit more runway to explore yeah. some of these things, especially whenever it comes to properly exploring both the. Uh, present day and the past narratives a series would probably help <laughs> well let's hope they did a do a better job than they did with resident evil oh good lord don't even get don't mm. since they uh, they don't really cover time periods or air er, or areas within time periods more than once i'm just going to run through real quick the time yes. periods and areas that have been covered uh, so Assassin's Creed One, as we mentioned, takes place in in uh, in the Holy Land in Jerusalem and Masyaf and Damascus and Acre in that area around there during the Third Crusade, so twelfth century, late twelfth century. Uh, Assassin's Creed Two, Renaissance Italy, within that little mini trilogy that they threw in there. Uh, Assassin's Creed Revelations makes its way to sixteenth uh, century Constantinople. Okay. Assassin's Creed Three, American Revolution. Assassin's Creed 4, we have the 18th century Caribbean during the Golden Age of Piracy. Okay. That game's fun. Uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, it's 18th century France during the French Revolution. Assassin's Creed Syndicate, it's 19th century Victorian London, uh, plus a little bonus touch of World War I if you find that area. Assassin's Creed Origins is uh, 49 through 43 BCE, the end of the Ptolemaic period in Egypt. Okay. Assassin's Creed Odyssey is uh, 431 to 422 BCE, which is classical Greece during the Peloponnesian War. Fuck. Was that what you were going to say? I was, yeah, I was thinking something yeah. around there. Yeah, it, no, they, yeah, they covered that. Uh, and then uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, which is 9th century Norway and England, and uh, also some like hallucinatory bits in actual Asgard. Uh, right, because yeah. because why not? Right. Uh, and then the upcoming game that's coming out later this year, Assassin's Creed Mirage, which is ninth century Baghdad during the Islamic Golden Age. Okay. So, what other time periods do you think would be worth exploring through the series? See the the issue that I run into is my my knowledge of history is like 
pretty good from mid-century till now. Yeah. And before that, I, I don't care. Mm. So, like, I would say, like, American Civil War to now, I'm pretty good. Okay. Prior to that, I'm. it's so far removed from my experience that I don't care too much. Sure. Unless it's, it's Victorian England with vampires. <laughs> then I care. Um, it was Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very specific time period. Pride and prejudice and zombies. Gotcha. Um, so... Like, I would like to see, especially for doing, like, political intrigue, mm-hmm. um, some fuckery that the CIA got up to. Oh, my God. Um, MK Ultra shit? Some, MK, I was I was trying to think more grounded, but no, yeah, we're going to MK Ultra I mean, shit. Hey, I mean, that, me. we, this, that's confirmed yeah. real. Like, we know that shit happened. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, but but even, grounded, like, yeah. even, even if you if you get into just, like, uh, South American coup mm-hmm. shit, too, yeah. like, you, oh, my the, God. The, the coups, uh, you could... Uh, oh, do the Bay of Pigs? Um, you. I'm could... thinking Sandinistas. Actually, that could yeah, be really interesting. Sandinistas. Um, I was thinking of uh, what's the fucking Ben Affleck movie that he won a best picture for? Oh, um, oh shit, what was that called? I forget. But like that entire chunk of history where the CIA is screwing with like Middle Eastern politics, that that would be. Incredibly complicated, but interesting. Argo. Ar- Argo. Argo, yes. yes. Yeah. I think it's like Argo and Ajax, I think, are the the two. Yeah. Of many, I'm sure, of the fuckeries. Yes. So that it's a little modern comparatively. Sure. But that would be what I would be interested in seeing. I... I think that would be really cool, especially yeah. if you're getting into like the South American politics yeah. of everything and like like the way like the the degree of fuckery that was going on there. I think that could definitely be an interesting way to explore some of that stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see like a HBO Watchmen effect where people are like, "Oh, I didn't know that happened." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, because like my like my brain immediately jumped to like the Civil War and what and that like around cool. that time, but it also feels like kind of hackneyed. You know, it feels it feels like cliche to be like, oh yeah, no, we'll go back and explore that that great Civil rift. War, World War Two. Yeah, more. like either one of those. Yeah. It's like it, it's I, it would be interesting. Yeah. I'm sure they could do something cool with it, but it's also like ugh, fucking everybody does that shit. Yeah. Like every time there's a time travel thing or a war thing, it's about those, right? And the the area that we're talking about. It's it's long enough and vast enough that you can explore a lot. Yeah, because sometimes the sometimes these games take up like a decade, yeah. or more of time covering whatever like murder of a historical figure has to take place. I want to murder the Dallas brothers. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> there, I said it. It's been nice knowing you, Joe. <laughs> Wow, you really yeah. like you snuck that not even just a way to get canceled, but a way to get <laughs> murdered by right. a three letter agency. Mm. <laughs> just... <laughs> Thanks, bud. A way... What a way to go. <laughs> oh, for... I was wondering what it would feel sick. like to be waterboarded. Oh. <laughs> hey, are you gonna be home soon? No, I'm I'm in Abu Ghraib. Okay, well, <laughs> The troubles in Ireland. Ooh, that could be interesting. Ooh, yeah, I was saying there's a lot of history out there. there. There's a lot there's, of history. Yeah, it seems like they are tending to pick stuff that's like great political or revolution uprising type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not just gonna be like caveman, <laughs> <laughs> Neanderthal. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, there, there's a lot of options. So I know that there is, there's a, a game in development that f- that's focused at some point in Chinese history. Yeah, the Boxer Rebellion. Maybe I'm not I'm not sure. Not, they've been really hush hush about details sure. on that one because it's like a it's like a down the road project for uh, right now. Um, there might be one set in Japan as well. I'm not 100 percent sure. What's happening there? But that's one of those regions and histories that people have been like clamoring for for a while. Feels kind of obvious to have like feudal Japan, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like that. I feel like that would be that. Like, that would be rich. That would be a lot yeah. to work with there. But 
you know, they're they're working on it. Like that's and already Ninja Turtles kind of already did it, but Ninja Turtles did kind of already do it. That's true. But yeah. they didn't do it well. No, no, that's the bad one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, buddy. Just, I'll never forget uh, was April claiming to be a witch and by <laughs> holding out her her Walkman. <laughs> she God. trapped a bunch of tiny men in there. <laughs> It was a silly time. It was a um, silly time. Absolutely. We didn't know how dark things were going to get. We, oh, we sure fucking didn't. No. All right. On that note, I feel like I need to bright, I need to brighten things up a little bit. I need to. Please. I, I need to. Well, I might fail. I might fail on this. But um, Jack, you asked me a question in part one. I asked several questions. Yes. You asked several questions, but there was there was. You asked you asked some specific questions about the apple of Eden, and yeah, I did. Yeah, Jack, I'm going to answer those questions now. Great. Aliens. Fuck off. <laughs> fuck you. And okay. Fuck that. Not qu- not quite aliens. It's not quite aliens. So uh, so there was a precursor civilization that existed pre- before humanity, known as that was referred to as the Isu. They, Celestials got it. Kind of. Yeah. It's got that's got that kind of vibe to it. They actually created humanity like a, as like uh, a people to live peacefully beside them. But they also created the pieces of Eden, the apple of Eden and the other, and the other various ones uh, to keep humanity in line. So actually humanity was kind of a servitor race. Um, uh, yeah, I read that uh, Prometheus legend. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Uh, eventually, uh, uh, humans and Isu began to interbreed, and the first human uh, human Isu to hybrids to survive, uh, known uh, known as Adam and Eve, proved to be immune to the influence of the pieces of Eden, I'm and so mad. This and is so es- <laughs> and and escaped <laughs> with some stolen pieces of Eden, which then ignited a war that did not end until a massive solar flare nearly nearly wiped out the Isu. The last three remaining Isu, Minerva, Juno, and Jupiter, tried to prepare humanity for a solar flare that would come centuries upon centuries later, in late 2012. This is giving... Shut the fuck up. I've, <laughs> this is giving me, like, lost flashbacks. Uh, Minerva, Minerva and Jupiter built vaults in which... You just happened to say... I didn't even think about the lost oh, connection. Then I said vaults. It's like, oh, fuck, actually... <laughs> Uh, Minerva and Jupiter built vaults in which humanity could deploy a global shield to protect the planet from the flare using the pieces of Eden and an object known as the Eye. However, Juno came to believe that humans are too dangerous and thus attempted to foil Minerva and Jupiter's plots. Minerva and Jupiter chose to kill Juno and proceed, completely unaware that Juno had encoded part of her consciousness into the Eye, allowing her to reappear once the Eye is activated. So you remember how I mentioned that uh, the original present day protagonist died? Yeah, yeah, he died because uh, because the try he was going to try and deploy this shield to stop the uh, 2012 uh, catastrophe flare that was going to happen to end the world. Yeah, uh, and uh, Juno appeared to like convince him not to do it because he would. Uh, I don't know something something about like he would save a select few and then emerge as and then emerge as a great leader and savior and then and then ignite an entire another cycle of violence and and horribleness in his name or something like that. So instead, he chose to sacrifice himself to cause something else to happen that allowed the world to not die. But there's also like consequences of that that are happening in the later games that I'm not clear about and have not been communicated very well. But why? Uh, why midichlorians? Why? <laughs> <laughs> the Isu eventually faded from existence. The pieces of Eden lost, and the mentions of the pre- of these precursor beings relegated to faint threads woven throughout our mythology and various religions. Uh, and it's only through the efforts, of the clash, or oh, the clash of the assassins and the Templars, and the efforts of the Templars to dig all this stuff back up to gain control over the rest of humanity, that they've really come back into play. I can't. I don't. I don't know why. I can't answer that why there, Jack. <laughs> but uh, it does. It, it does kind of explain why a, uh, a, a an order of assassins that was specific to a particular time and place and and part of Islamic culture uh, somehow formed in ancient Egypt in the pre in the days before Christ. <laughs> you were not wrong. I did hate that. <laughs> 
it yep. felt like they did well but it's it's so early in the in the series right it's it's like the they've already hit on that weird shit in the, in the like the second or third game so it's not so, like they ma- they pulled it out of their ass. They knew this shit. Oh, yeah. They've been planting seeds the entire time. It's a... Ah. Uh, so okay. in, in Assassin's Creed 2, there is a feature known as the truth. I just want to punch the Pope. I just want to punch the fucking Pope. Is that so much to ask? <laughs> I just want to punch Pope Borgia in the goddamn face. Like, is that so much to ask? But no. There's this, there's a, a, a series of optional side quests and puzzles that you can solve referred to as the truth. And if you solve them, you get these conspiratorial tidbits of information about mm-hmm. like stuff that was not quite what it seemed in the past. So it was like you like, like you like you learn that there were pieces of Eden present in certain situations or held by certain members of the United States Supreme Court and certain things. And then it all culminates into revealing to you this strange video, which I'm not sure how the fuck this exists, but vi- it's literally video of Adam and Eve escaping with pieces of Eden from whatever like compound the Isu had them in. What in the David Miskovich bullshit? Are you <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's bonkers. It's absolute bonkers nonsense. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not gonna get less upset. So <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty, pretty mad. I do uh, miss my Lovecraftian monsters who don't give a fuck. After listening to whatever this, those are, yeah, this is definitely different than the indifferent universe that you have uh, that you have posited. This is much more <laughs> of a uh, this is much more of a goofy clusterfuck. It is a it's some meddling goofy clusterfuck. Yes, yes, that's a good way to put it. Don't you wish they'd include some of that stuff in the movie? Jack? No, <laughs> no, I don't. No, I'm very okay with that having me left out. They made they made a good decision there by leaving all of that out. Yeah, I think they did too, honestly. <laughs> I uh, I didn't like they're doing biblical shit, let alone alien biblical shit. Alien biblical shit, hearkening uh, back to the like weird Mayan calendar apocalypse that people talked about. Yeah. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with you know, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and fix this. Yeah, movie. <laughs> okay, yeah. I like my biblical fuckery to be like, "Don't look into the light, Marion," and I'm like, "Okay, I won't." And that's all you need to that's, know. That's all you need to know. Yeah. yeah, some Nazis get their faces melted, and it's great. Loved it. Yeah, no, this is way more convoluted than that. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa. And I'm Dawn. And if you've ever watched a TV show and thought to yourself, oh my god, that season finale plot twist was absolutely bonkers. Or seen a movie and thought, wow, I need to talk to somebody about this train wreck immediately. Then we think you'll fit right in with our podcast, I Hate It, Let's Watch It. We watch TV shows like Riverdale and Emily in Paris. And movies like Deep Water, Killer Sofa, Rubber, and Deadly Illusions. And we give them the total rinse they deserve. It's basically group therapy for movie masochists. So come check us out wherever you stream podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for us to attempt to fix Assassin's Creed. Now, to be 100% clear, as I mentioned uh, in the first episode, I actually like this movie a lot more than I remember from my first viewing back when it came out. But as we've discussed, there's definitely some improvements that need to be made here. If you're not familiar with how we typically do things, we have a couple of, of rules the, uh, in place whenever it comes to fixing a, a movie. It has to be done in a way that would have been feasible at the time of production. This being a more modern production, not hard. We have allotted ourselves two recastings, unless, of course, the, uh, somebody <laughs> in the movie turns out to be a like Kevin Spacey level piece of shit, or a, Jeffrey or, Jones rule. Or a Je- yeah, the Jeffrey Jones rule is established in our Howard the Duck episode. Uh, if, yeah, if they have done something reprehensible, and then they then they can be a a free replacement. Yeah, uh, not applicable in this movie, as far as I can tell. Not unless people are listening to this from the future and Michael Fassbender likes the human flesh. Uh, Army Hammer already did that. It's kind of, kind of, kind of hackneyed. Yeah, we're okay with it now. It's no, weird. just, <laughs> just weird. we've evolved as a culture. Campbell's weird, huh? Yeah, yeah. Herman Melville didn't see this coming. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I don't think any of the main cast of this movie needs to be replaced. I think as we as we discussed, like they all put on pretty serviceable performances. Like no, none of them really like shine per se, but like they're all pretty good. Uh, The only one I think I had mentioned potentially Ariane Lebed 
Mm-hmm. Like she did a pretty good job with like you know dialogue wise, like emotion wise, like acting wise, pretty solid. But the lack of comfort in her stunt performances took it kind of took me out of a couple of those moments. I'm not sure. I, I don't think that that's necessarily a replacement level sure, offense, right, but. Yeah. If I were to put somebody into that role that I think could handle that interaction and those scenes, but would also potentially be more comfortable in the stunt situations, mm-hmm. I would, based on who I could find that would be available at the time. Sure. Because uh, originally Alicia Vikander was going to be cast in this role, but then she took a role oh, in yeah. Jason Bourne. Um, she would have been good. She would have been good. Uh, I, I, f- I found uh, Jordana Brewster. Uh, who's probably best known as Mia Toretto in the Fast and the Furious movies. A franchise I've actively tried to stay away from. Is a yeah. movie, yeah, there's a franchise that you, you've act, like, purposefully not watched, yeah. and I've seen a few of them, or a couple of them. I'm mad it exists. Yeah, it's fine. It's underst- I, I, I guess it's understandable, but also like a bunch of people that we that we know are like super into it. It Yeah, I know it's it's like high-budget camp. Yeah. Which I kind of want to go through and watch all of them, but uh, I'm not in like you can a go, you can go right. Ahead. I'm not I'm not in a rush to do it. Let's say, but I would I would consider casting her in this in this particular role since she, she made perfect. I don't know if her char- I don't know if that particular character is like involved in a lot of the stunts and whatnot, but sure. who knows? Maybe instead of recasting a second character, I'd actually like to add an action unit director to this to this film to help assist Kurzel sure. and his cinematographer Adam uh, Arkapa with capturing more visceral and engaging fight and stunt sequences. Probably a good choice. I I I mean I think so. Like we said that was one of the most pressing issues with this is they did is they weren't getting good footage mm-hmm. of these stunt moments and it really, you know, it really hurt the film. So I think I think the choice for this this role for this responsibility is an absolute no-brainer. Chad Stahelski. 2014's John Wick set an entire entire new bar for what an excellent action film looks like, and that is largely due to Stahelski's stunt experience translating into outstanding cinematography, solid editing, and believable choreography, directed very well uh, on top of that. As we'd mentioned, there were as few cuts as possible, allowing you to really feel the impact of the of the hits and shots, and very intricately plotted camera motion to help yeah. really translate some of the more key moments. Like think about the uh, the uh, the club shootout in mm. John Wick One, where he eventually gets thrown off of that second floor balcony. You yeah. feel the impact of him hitting that floor whenever, like, because they let they let it play out yeah. as just a, a one big shot just happening right there. I'm 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 all about it. I think it's a great choice. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what's more, actually, they could take further influence from this franchise because it is a absolute model in intricate yet subtle clandestine world building. The the way that Stahelski and Derek Kolstad give you just enough information in the first film to establish like the basic functions of this like this secret world that exists among the, among our everyday existence of all these hitmen and and mercenaries and like the system of the hotel and everything and the coins like you get just enough mm-hmm. to really like understand the base level of this world and then each iteration of the fil- of the series thereafter like builds on it and twists it just enough to make it made to make it interesting mm-hmm. to help draw you in further flesh it out more without taking away from what the fuck is happening with John specifically I've only watched the first one the the second one might be my favorite hmm. okay. uh the third one's also very good uh and also features Halle Berry uh I haven't seen her in a minute I haven't seen her in a minute uh, but she also like commands a couple of armored dogs that get in oh, on the shit. violence and like okay. fuck some people up. Uh, I watched a dog leap off of Halle Berry's back to climb like a twenty foot wall and bite a dude in the junk. Like <laughs> incredible. <laughs> I see that as a movie franchise. I would not mind sitting down and watching the whole way through. I, I have all of the available Blu-rays right, right now, so we we will do that. Now you might be asking. If you are asking this, I question why, but you might be asking, Joe, if you're suggesting Stahelski is an action unit director, why not focus on his last turn as an action unit director before Assassin's Creed came out? That's a great question, but the answer to that question is incredibly stupid because 
the answer is, I refuse because that movie is Hitman Agent 47. <laughs> and that movie was absolutely fucking terrible. <laughs> Have you seen a Hitman Agent 47, Jack? N- no. Would you I- like to guess the Rotten Tomato score for Hitman Agent 47, Jack? Seven. Eight. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, audience score of 40, but uh, yeah. Right. There's no accounting for taste, I guess. Just genuinely one of the most boring action movies I think I've ever seen in my life. So disappointing. Yeah. And especially considering this was supposed to be a remake because it was the second right. time that they've made a Hitman movie. The 2007 one starring Timothy Oliphant did infinitely better than this, by which I mean it did uh, uh, 20. St- 16. Close. (laughs) It doubled. It doubled the score. Yes. Better. It is is better. Uh, I will say say for Hitman Agent 47, I enjoy Zachary Quinto. Because you don't see see Zachary Quinto enough these days. So even though this movie was terrible, it was nice to see him in some capacity. Pittsburgh Zone. (laughs) Local boy. Local boy. CMU grad. Gotta love him. But again, like the action was like fine, but it doesn't sure. hold a candle in any way to John Wick. So we 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 know the pinnacle of what Stahelski is capable of here. Sure, yeah. Okay. Now the story. I will say there are portions of this where I just don't touch the story very much. Sure. But the way that we get things started is utterly important to me. So. Instead of opening on Aguilar's initiation ceremony, we're going to just start with young Cal in California finding his dead mom and being told to run. So we're, we're like that scene's going to play out largely the same. Like like we get we get the you know the the motifs of crazy. We get the the you know, the blood is not your own. We get mm-hmm. those we get those tidbits to uh, to to uh to build off of. But instead of just kind of like fading out and passing and, and like letting the scenery and the eagle take the camera where you know what wherever the hell it will sure. and just jumping forward thirty years, we're gonna we're gonna get a closer shot of young Cal running away and then smash cut to a rainy al- dark alley where where an older Cal is running. He's uh, being chased by police. Uh, there's one version of this that I have in mind where he's just being chased by police and you're hearing the radio chatter of the police of the mm-hmm. police chasing him that he's just murdered an undercover officer. That would make more sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm also going to explicitly have this just set in Texas. Just like, just, just, sure, just have make, make sure. Yeah. yeah. Just, you, you, you got a death penalty state. Do you know, we're establishing that right away. Uh, he eventually gets caught by the officers and knocked unconscious. Uh, I don't want to go so far as saying like hey, he's a white guy they caught him, but like he, he gets far enough out that there are witnesses, so they can't just they right, can't just right, like right. exact revenge on him right there. Uh, Cal wakes up in his jail cell, woken by the priest sent to read him his last rites. This largely plays out the same way as it did in the film, uh, with Cal being put to death and Sophia Riken watching. However, instead of waking up to Riken's face, he wake he awakens to Riken directing a team that is rigging him into a strange chair. Groggy and barely conscious, he ba- he barely responds until Riken commands the team to begin the regression test, and Cal's surroundings fade away to show flickering shadow and, and torchlight. And this is will be Cal's first experience in the Animus, and okay. this is where we'll see the assassin initiation. So he starts seeing through Aguilar's eyes for the first time. They start getting that initial sync to see if he'll even work with the right, Animus, to right. see if this is even a possibility for him. And that's where we see the we see the creed spoken for the first time. That's where we see you know his finger get sliced off. But that slicing, the, that ceremonial removal of his ring finger, yeah. jars him out of it. And, and so, so, but enough so that he's still groggy. So it's not like a big reaction like we like we first saw with him getting ejected. So they're able to kind of ease him out of it and be like, okay, this is what just happened to you. And they, they you know they'll yeah. explain it. They'll explain that to him a little bit. As they're, and as they're doing the explanation, he's going to keep looking down to his finger. Right. He's going to think it's not there. But by the end of the scene, he looks and it is solidly there. So we have the first little inkling of the bleeding effect introduced mm-hmm. that's not just Aguilar fully, like, shadow walking at him like he's a fucking sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> and it allows things to build up a little bit more naturally as the story goes on. From this point on, I want things to carry out pretty much as they did in the film. Like the main, like the major beats are going to be largely the same with a few key differences. Before Cal enters the more dynamic version of the Animus, you know, as he contemplates jumping out to escape and die, 
and Musa kind of eggs him on, mm-hmm. they actually get to talk for a little bit more. So we get so we get at least like a base level of like of him knowing that there's something else going on here. It's just an opportunity to help characterize any of these other fucking characters even yeah. a little bit. Like maybe one of them steps up and like just tries to like back Musa off so he's not doing his cryptic bullshit for like right. a second to the <laughs> right. new guy who just went into the animus for the first time. Just anything. Cal gets a brief explanation of what the Animus does and what Sophia's goals are before being brought to the new and improved Animus. He freaks out upon seeing it because he's expecting a chair and not something possibly designed by carnies. Uh, The eagle sequence is much, much shorter, allowing us to focus on the beginnings of Aguilar's mission instead of the giant flyover of a a battle sequence that has no real impact on anything. That was... The most infuriating thing to me the first time I watched this mm-hmm. movie, and I, is easily the most useless like moment that we see the entire time. Uh, the climactic moment when Aguilar retrieves the apple from Torquemada will play out mostly the same, but I want Aguilar to actually activate the apple so that we see what it does. Mm-hmm. So when he goes out to escape onto that bridge, I want to see him actually, like, it, it, as like a last-ditch effort to survive, produce the apple which will allow him to literally control the people around him. So he, so he mm-hmm. brings them to their knees and then he's able to jump, do that, perform that leap of faith. Okay. And, you know, and get away without being like arbitrarily shot in the side with a crossbow bolt. Right. Like, it, it, it really like for a second in the film feels like, Oh, he just got fucking shot in the gut with a crossbow bolt. He's uh-huh. dying when he hits that water. Like, that okay. is like screaming punctured bowel or something, yeah. and this is fucking 15th century Spain. You're not going to survive this. <laughs> right. Okay, so that that explains the apple visually. It, was, it explains it visually, and it helps really drive home like what kind of power this mm-hmm. thing has. Because we've only gotten it through dialogue yeah. in the actual film. It's just the idea that it, it contains the key to human free will. Well, let's actually show it impacting a group of people's free will. Yeah. Which, in the games, they do a bunch of other shit, too. Like, they can sometimes just flat-out fucking obliterate people. Like, it is... Yeah, they are sometimes just utter, like, overpowered cartoonish weapons. (laughs) A neat little package. The other thing that this does, in in addition to showing off what the apple can actually do, is it it creates a a trifecta of elements... Factoring into that glitch out of the animus that leads to, like, the big revelation and, like, the big moment of acceptance for Cal. At this point, he has learned about the truth of his mother's death and Mm -hmm. then watched a fairly similar parallel situation regarding Maria. Watching her death take place. Her her sacrifice in order to keep Cal and 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 the creed alive. And we've also, we've also got, you know, the... The awe-inspiring, terrible power of the Apple of Eden on full display, that combined with the performance of that leap of faith into the river to get away. So, the the mom parallel, Apple of Eden, yeah, leap of faith. All of that combined shorts out the animus, breaks it in a way that they didn't think was possible, and causes that okay. that wholly unique in uh, instance of. All of Cal's assassin ancestors surrounding him and, like, revealing to him the reality of his history, culminating with his mother. Okay. And, of course, Aguilar does not pass the apple off to Columbus, because he would quite obviously be a Templar. Instead, Aguilar goes to Amerigo Vespucci. Otherwise, the result is the same, but we don't have to think about Christopher Columbus. I'm for it. Can you... Can he punch Christopher Columbus? Um, you know what? There is actually there is an alternate version of this uh-huh. that I had been thinking of, where he tries <laughs> to go to Columbus, uh-huh. thinking that he is a friend, but then realizes uh-huh. like almost too late that it's yeah. a fucking trap, and then so he gets yeah. so he gets got pretty badly on the way out, but uses but does manage to use the apple to you know pull off right, another right, escape, right. and then like just barely clinging to life makes his way to Amerigo Vespucci and is still able to get the apple out of there. Probably an unnecessary scene, but I'm I'm gonna take it as canon. That's that's largely why I didn't start with it. Right. Just because I, I felt like mm, maybe that's a maybe that's a hat on a hat. Yeah. Maybe it's a little much. But uh but yeah, that is uh that is my uh say 
a punch-up of Assassin's yeah. Creed. That I, I wouldn't call it an overall fix, but I think it does address some of the core issues, and I think that with Stahelski helping Kurzel through this, yes. I think it would be invaluable experience and learning for Kurzel, and also just another show-off of how fucking cool Stahelski can be behind a camera. <laughs> and it gets us into the story much quicker. Which I think, again, is one of the biggest issues. Like, yeah. I mean, even Fastbender is out here saying, like, you know, it has three, it has three beginnings, and that was a fucking mistake. Like, yeah. it, when, when, when the main star and producer of the film is, uh, is pointing that out right. publicly, like, yeah, there's no ignoring it, right? How do you feel about it? Um... I kind of wish I had had a little bit more time to to write things out a little more thoroughly. Always, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, I know you feel the pain on that one. Yeah, but uh, but I feel pretty happy with this version of it. Like, I feel I feel like this would have been a very entertaining watch, and it sets it sets up some threads to be picked up in the next version too. Yeah. Like, uh, you, you, we've now seen the Apple of Eden in use, so we now have you know we now have a further route of expo- of exploration to go through to try and figure. About what the fuck is this thing? Because you know now Cal has it in his in his possession in the present day, and it's an opportunity to do something that we've never gotten to see in Assassin's Creed and actually play with that stuff in the present day. Because one of the biggest disappointments for me, at least, because I am again one of the very few people that actually yeah. gives a shit about what happens in the present day narrative of Assassin's Creed, you know, like a fucking pervert, <laughs> is that we didn't get to see a whole lot of Desmond. In the present day, like Assassin's Creed 3 gives you a couple of missions for him to actually pull off sure. as an assassin in the present day. But they're very confined, set aside experiences, like standalone kind of moments that like they, they help inform the narrative and they yeah. do some important things in terms of like killing major figures or learning new information. But then it all culminates in him sacrificing himself, whereas like. At least I was really looking forward to eventually having a full present day adventure hmm. as Desmond. Like I would have, I would have loved to have seen that, but no, just that you. Didn't, that yeah, just me apparently. Okay. Um, <laughs> and to my understanding, the same thing has happened again because for a, for a little while after Desmond died, they stopped having a a, a current day like fixed okay. protagonist. Until Assassin's Creed Origins, and then they introduced Layla Hassan. So you had a, a a young woman who was an who is an ex Abstergo researcher who built a new version of the Animus herself. Not a uh, not like the movie version, sure. even though like when they were first making the movie version, they were like, "This is actually way better than what we thought of, and we're going to start using this in the game." That never happened because oh, look what okay. happened. Um, yeah, the movie didn't perform well enough. Right. They're like, mm, maybe we're going to hold back on that idea. And they did. They haven't. They haven't deployed anything hmm. like that. But the new animus in the more recent games is like a mobile rig that you can take around, and you can like you don't even have to pl- like you don't have to have like the direct blood samples and whatnot. You can. It doesn't have to be your own ancestors now. Oh, okay. Like you're able to connect it to a sample of something from the past. Like when they f- hmm. when they find the like the mummy of the assassin Bayek, who's one of like the original founders of the of the like, mm-hmm. what they called the hidden ones before it was the the assassin's brotherhood uh, they literally they literally hooked the shit into his mummy basically <laughs> and then Layla's able right. to experience his memories instead of somebody she's related to and that that's how you got uh, that's how you get to ancient Greece that's how you get to the Vikings and shit like they right, it's, right, it's right, finding right. these remote sites and plugging the animus into these uh, these other objects and but to my understanding, she dies at the end of Valhalla. I haven't gotten mm. to that point yet, but I I, I had that spoiled sure, for right. me on a wiki or something. Like she apparently something happens that kills her off. So now I don't know what the fuck happens from that point on. Like hmm. what is the present day story after that happens? Damn. Yeah. Maybe it should get better. Maybe. Yeah. Part of me, I mean, part of me suspects that because well, I'm, okay, I'm getting <laughs> like esoteric game shit here. It's, it's it's not important, but my point is. There was a lot of ground to work with to tell a really interesting present day story through all this stuff, but yeah, you know, they keep kind of skirting around that so they can keep on exploring sure. all these other pasts and these all these other pieces of history, which is in and of itself really cool. But I want him, I want him to culminate with that. Like sure. I, part of me still wants them to make it to that point where they can tell a really satisfying present day story in this universe. Yeah, I want to see them assassins killing off modern day politicians. <laughs> 
if if that game comes out while Henry Kissinger is still alive, I swear to God. <laughs> I just want something as satisfying as the scene in Mars Attacks where they <laughs> <laughs> blow up Congress. Yeah. 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 That was a good scene. It was really good. It was, good. It was a good movie. You should watch Mars Attacks. Uh, Joe, where can they find us? Well, first, what do you, uh, what do you think of this? What well, I think? I yeah. think, um, yeah, I think that it's makes sense. Okay. Um, I understand what the fuck the MacGuffin is. It helps, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I was like, I guess I just really like this Quidditch ball thing. It's <laughs> going to make people listen up. Yep. But now it makes more sense. Um, I, I like seeing more uh, interaction with the people in the facility. Uh, it sounds like you put more emphasis on the in-history stuff. A little bit. Um, I mean, I, 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 like, I didn't add any additional mm-hmm. scenes there, but I, I feel like changing the order, like, like actually, yeah. actually putting the initiation into the flow of the film better yeah. instead of having like a text crawl that leads to that, uh, that initiation right uncontextualized yeah. from everything else just yeah. felt weird but um, yeah yeah i think you did it i think you um adding the what, what's the position called uh, action unit director action unit director mm-hmm. having that I think you're probably fresh. The one thing that hung me up a little bit on that is like, partially it was like, I really fucking want to use him for this. This would right, be perfect. Right. And he, around the time that, uh, that he, that they would be doing this production, he could have potentially been acting as second unit director on either Captain America's civil war mm-hmm. or the brothers Grimsby. Hmm. It's, he, he, those are the only other two projects uh-huh. that he was like doing work on between Hitman Agent Forty Seven mm-hmm. and John Wick Two, basically. This is why God created cocaine. <laughs> you know, it was gets Stahelski all coked up. Yeah, and be fine. <laughs> this is why the Celestials uh, gave us cocaine. Here's some coke. Get on a plane to Malta. Let's go. <laughs> if I only had a nickel. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm not flying you back again next time. Thank you for joining us for this. Thanks for sticking around through this. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed it as much as as much as we did. I had a lot of fun doing an actual yeah. fix episode. I look forward to doing this again in the future. If you enjoyed this, please rate and review the show everywhere you possibly can. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Stitcher, anywhere you listen. It really helps us out and helps us get into more people's ears. If you uh, want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter at DeRazzledPod, Facebook at, D- at DeRazzledPodcast, Instagram and TikTok at DeRazzled underscore podcast. You can email us at DeRazzledPodcast at gmail.com to uh, recommend anything you'd like to see us cover in the future, recommend stuff you'd like to see pop up in our, mer- our Redbubble merch store. Or if you have questions about the film festival of, sh- of bad short films that we're putting together for next year, uh, please message us about that. We are very eager to talk to people about that and get those balls rolling. But yeah, uh, that, I think that covers everything. I think that do it. All right. Well, thank you again. Good night, everybody. Be sure to check us out next time where, as always, we will be sure to, to razzle-dazzle you. <laughs>